Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. I am so excited to announce the launch of new Just Ingredient products. My protein lovers can look forward to chocolate peanut butter protein and snickerdoodle protein. For those waiting for a new pre-workout flavor, I'm bringing you two, Tropical Paradise and Strawberry Limeade. And besides protein and new pre-workout flavors, we have new SPF 15 lip balms. So if you're looking forward to summer right around the corner, don't miss out on these new lip balms available in clear, blush, or bronze tints. April 25th and 26th, you can get all of these products for 20% off and free shipping. Shop the sale at www.justingredients.us. Once again, that's justingredients.us on April 25th and 26th. Dr. Ashley Mayer is a practicing physician taking care of families for the past 12 years. In 2014, she founded Dr. Green Mom, a new global brand passionate about foundational health care for children. As a leader in the field of vaccine safety and awareness education, Dr. Mayer teaches parents how not to only recognize and manage current risk benefit of their child's vaccine schedule, but also how to support the child's neurological and immune systems through the vaccination process. VaccineStrategy.com launched in 2019, empowering parents to make informed vaccine decisions because the current vaccine schedule is not a one-size-fits-all for our children. Dr. Mayer has diligently kept up with a National Medical Freedom Healthcare Provider List for parents needing access to providers who believe in medical freedom and informed consent. Dr. Mayer's true passion lies in formulating safe, natural products for mothers, infants, and children. Your child's healthcare begins in the womb, so mamas need to take care of themselves too. You can find more information at drgreenmom.com. Welcome to the show. I am really excited today to have Dr. Ashley Mayer here with me. She is known on social media as Dr. Green Mom, but I'm really excited to talk to her today, you guys, because we are going to talk vaccines, which doesn't get talked about much on social media, but here on this podcast, I thought we could do it. So welcome to the show, Dr. Mayer. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I don't really get to talk about this very often anymore. And so it's a real pleasure. Well, thank you. I know my listeners are excited to hear what you have to say about vaccines, but before we get started, will you tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe how you became Dr. Green Mom? Sure. So I'm a practicing naturopathic family physician here in Arizona, and I've been practicing for about 12 years. I got into this very early in my practice. It was probably my first year of practice. I was invited to do an internship with a famous physician down in Texas, and I had access to a lot of their children's records. And it was an autism facility. And I just kind of started uh, researching these kiddos and I just fell in love with helping children. I realized that there is a place for proactive healthcare for kids. Uh, we definitely see more of sick care treatment in children. And so I thought this would be a really great niche for me. Personal story. 
you know how we start things we're very passionate about generally because there's a personal story uh, around it. But my daughter was born in 2012 and I was practicing doctor for two years and I was doing really well. And, you know, kids were really healthy in my practice. And, you know, lo and behold, I did everything right with my daughter. I breastfed her. She was a vaginal birth. And at about three months of age, histamine response, allergies, eczema, hives. And it was such a struggle for me that I realized if I can't figure my child out being a doctor, how do other parents do it? And so I, you know, I started doing some research and I said, you know, this information is really needed for, for parents. And that's how Dr. Green Mom initially started. That was, I put together a website very quickly in 20, I think it's 2014. And I just started building on it. And it was just how to take care of your kids naturally, um, because there just wasn't even information out there for me to try to figure it out. So what did you find out with your daughter? Was it what you were eating since you were breastfeeding her? Or did you figure out what the issues were? You know, I had a fantastic immunology mentor, Dr. Bob Helmers. He was an immunologist here in town and we took her to him and lo and behold, she had some immune system dysregulations. So we had to work on those. And with regards to the eczema, I had to cut out gluten and dairy, soy and egg from my breast milk. And that worked fantastic. So some of that just kind of got me really thinking, oh my goodness, uh, it, these are simple fixes. I know when you're in it, it's not simple. So when you're a tired mom and stressed out, having to remove those foods or you know, having to work on your child's immune system might be super stressful at the time, but they are simple fixes that you know we can share with parents and we can let them know, hey, look, if you're struggling through these, here's some easy things you can try before you go the pharmaceutical route. Oh, I love it. It is really hard to figure out um, <laughs> your children issues and all of them are different. And so I love having resources like you. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. So let's talk about the immune system before we actually talk about vaccines. So one, are babies born with an immune system? And two, is there a way to develop this immune system, strengthen this immune system? So here's the thing. All babies are born with their mother's immune system. Now, here's the thing. Have you ever seen a calf being born or a baby horse? They come out and they're like all wonky and they're kind of wobbly and they're trying to stand up and they fall and they're looking around like, what the heck is all this? That is your baby's immune system when they're born. So it's, an, it's called the innate immune system. It's the immune system you're born with. But over time, that baby needs to adapt their immune system. So more of an adaptive immune system and how that happens. It starts in utero, but right at birth, mama has baby come out of her vagina and all of that wonderful microbiota covers babe, babe swallows it. And that really is the start of the beneficial bacteria that helps prime the immune system that, and then breastfeeding. So uh, every three hours for the next year, mama gives babe some of her immune system and says, Hey, immune system, take a look. Here's some more. So those two things are incredibly important to help start off and prime a baby's immune system, but then environmental factors over time, you know, you take your baby out on, put them on a blanket out in the yard when they're three weeks old 
and the immune system of the baby's like, Ooh, what's this? Like, what, what is this in the environment? You know, the baby gets vitamin D from the sun and the immune system says, Oh my goodness, what's this? So there's so many factors that are involved with priming that immune system from very early on, but yes, uh, babes are born with a copy of the mama's immune system. Okay. So you talked about breastfeeding. What about formula fed babies? Well, I'm pro whatever mama needs to do, right. but same for, but for babe, if you are talking about the immune system, it is so important that we breastfeed. So like I said, there's breast milk transfer of the immune system, immunoglobulins, uh, every, every two or three hours for a year, at least. So I think when we talk about the immune system, formula fed babies are getting, you know, if you're going with whatever you're going to find at Target or Walmart, they're going with, you know, corn syrup and milk proteins. And they're, it's just, that's what it is. It's corn syrup and milk proteins. When you're going with the, with breastfed babies there, it's the immune system of mama still continuing to be passed to baby. Um, and, and that is what is most important with regards to the immune system, since that will, that's what we're talking about. But again, I am all for whatever mom needs to do. Correct. Me too. And let's just make that clear because there are a lot of cases where formula fed is best for the mom. And so there are things like you were saying, though, the child getting vitamin D and out in the environment, things like that, that will strengthen their immune system as well. Yeah, there's environmental factors that will help strengthen the immune system if babe is breastfed. And that's not talked about either. So moms need this information. It's very valuable. This is what we should be talking about at well child visits, Right? <laughs> is, is how to increase immune function uh, for your babe, especially if they're formula fed. Okay, so now let's move to vaccines, because this has to do with the immune system. But let's just start at the basics. Sure. What exactly is a vaccine? Just simply put, it tells the immune system to fight an invader. So we inject something into the immune system that stimulates an immune response. And it says, hey, look, if you see this invader ever come, we want you to take care of it. And that's what a vaccine is. So it's supposed to be protection from whatever that said disease was that we vaccinated for. Are they all that type or are there different types of vaccines? Well, that's an interesting question because we've always known of the DNA vaccines, which we give the antigen or we give the disease to the baby by way of the live virus or by way of an adjuvant or something attached to that protein. So it stimulates an immune response. But now with the pandemic, we're all learning that there are other types of vaccines. So there is an mRNA vaccine that is just now being put to market over the past year and a half. And that just kind of teaches the, that's a messenger. So that's not actually injecting the virus or the bacteria. That's a messenger encoding information to tell the immune system what to do. So there are different types of vaccines. It just depends on what disease we're trying to uh, keep from. But when we're talking about just the children's vaccines that they get like at birth and as a baby and a toddler, we are not discussing the mRNA vaccine. No, 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 no. We're, we're simply discussing a live virus vaccine, which is a DNA vaccine. And we're speaking of the vaccines that require adjuvants to work properly. So aluminum containing vaccines, which is what most parents are. They understand that better. Okay, so why do most doctors recommend starting vaccines soon after birth? Can we start them later? 
Well, that's interesting because uh, up until you know just a few years ago, and when I say that the past 20 years, the research was very well known that breast milk transfer, uh, babe is getting antibodies to these diseases through breast milk transfer up until six months or a year old. Now, the reason why that's so important is because from birth to about seven months of age, according to the CDC, that's when children are most vulnerable to succumb to these diseases. So mortality rates, death rates are higher, uh, the younger the child. So the reason why we vaccinate so early is to protect them, one, while we're still priming their immune system, like we just talked about, and two, because that's when they're most vulnerable to succumb to the disease. So that's why we vaccinate so early. But most recently, it's, hey, vaccinate, vaccinate your kid. And we've kind of forgotten about or we've left out all that research that we have. And it's robust research that says, hey, look, if you are breastfeeding, your babe is receiving much of those antibodies still up until about one year of age when they're out of the woods, they're out of that woods of that seven month mark. Okay. So with you saying that then, cause we all know that there's a schedule for vaccines. So is the timing important then when it comes to these vaccines? Well, the timing in and of itself is important, but is the child breastfed or is the child formula fed? Is the child uh, live in an environment where there's high risk or are they living in an environment where there's low risk? So it, it really depends on the child. So I, we have a schedule that we say everyone must follow, all children must follow. And, and for the risky area, I think it's an important schedule. But that in and of itself, I think, is the problem is that we're looking at every child the same. And so currently, yes, we need to say vaccinate your children starting this young because uh, the CDC doesn't know whether your child was what your child's risk factors are, if that makes sense. OK, so when you're talking about at risk, are you meaning their health or where they live or if some virus is, or some illness is rampant around their area? What are you saying? All of it. When you assess risk with regards to this topic, you want to look at all of it. You want to look at the child's genetics. You want to look at the child's current uh, potential medical diagnoses. You want to look at the environment that they live in. Um, are they low socioeconomic status? Do they have healthy food? Do they have clean water? We think that's a norm in the United States, but most of America lives below the poverty line. So we have to assess how many people are living in the home. And then you're right. Uh, is there a pocket area? Is there an area where there's more disease? And, you know, mo normally we think of those pocket areas as being the places where we get more traffic worldwide. So we're thinking like New York City, we're thinking, you know, L.A., Chicago. So there's a lot of transient people coming in and out from other countries. Um, there's just a lot of people. It's more congestion. So it's just more opportunity for potential disease. Okay. So if I'm a parent and I'm listening to this, well, I am a parent, but <laughs> I don't have any newborns or toddlers anymore. If I had a new child, I should say, and I'm listening to this, what research would you suggest that I do before deciding whether to vaccinate my child or not? 
God, this is tough because you know what? Vaccinology in and of itself is like an, four years of school. There's so much involved. So how do we expect parents to try to navigate this? And I, uh, over the past 10 years, I there's a ton of information on my website, by the way. It's all scientific. I don't give much of my opinion. So I, I pretty much talk to you about what the CDC has to say. Um, but if you guys have to research this, the first thing you want to do is you want to know what these diseases are. So you want to know what rotavirus is. So if you walk into the pediatrician's office and they say, hey, look, we're going to vaccinate for rotavirus today, know what that is. Be educated with what these diseases are. Uh, be educated with when the vaccines are given at each uh, appointment. And then if you want in-depth detail, I'll plug myself. I do have a vaccine strategy guide. It's a step-by-step process. It makes it really simple for parents. Uh, You just log in and you just follow the steps and it really helps you to create a schedule specific to your child. You get to look at the risk factors that your child might have. You get to look at the risk factors of the environment that's around you. And then you can put together a schedule specific to your child. So is your schedule something that like slows down the vaccine process so that they get fewer each time or something different than that? So it depends. It's, it's specific to your child. So as an example, you have a very healthy child, but you want to travel over to Africa uh, when the child's three or four months old, that is a risk factor that you need to assess for it. And so, yeah, there are specific vaccines that I think are important if you're going to travel there. If your child, and if you're a breastfeeding mother, vaginal birth, and you're, and you live in, you know, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, and you don't get out much, there's no risk right now for current diseases. Yeah, you can hold off for a while. So maybe the schedule will start later. And when you start the schedule later, it's not talked about much, but it omits several vaccines in the series. So the later that you start with some of these, the less doses they actually need in the series. Oh, that's interesting. I actually didn't realize that. Yeah. So most specifically, I'll just tell you a quick little uh, excerpt, Hib and pneumococcal, hemophilus influenza type B and pneumococcal disease. If you start the vaccine series at age seven months, they only need three doses, not four. Hmm. If you start the vaccine series at 12 months, they only need two doses instead of four. If you start at 15 months, they only need one dose for both of those. Now, what's interesting is the CDC says in CDC pink book, and you can take a look, it's a wonderful resource. I highly recommend parents take a look at that online. It's called the CDC pink book. If you take a look at that mortality rates for children with HIV or pneumococcal, they plummet to near zero at about age seven months. So right about the time you start vaccinating at seven months, if you hold off, that's when mortality rates start to drop and the immune system's getting more primed and more robust. So uh, there's less vaccines on the series for that. Oh, that is so interesting. But you're making me think because when you go to kindergarten, they want to see the full (laughs) schedule completed. And so what happens I'm glad you said that too, because Hib and pneumococcal are not necessary for kindergarten. So Mm. even in the mandated states, uh, HIV, hemophilus influenza type B and pneumococcal uh, disease. Both of those are not necessary to start school. Oh, and if you want to know. get a little deeper, the polio vaccine is a four dose series. But if you wait to do the third dose after age four, 
they only need three doses, not four, according to the CDC. Same with the DTaP vaccine. If that fourth dose is after age four, they only need four doses, not five. So interesting. Um, <laughs> I know that this is not common knowledge to a lot of people. I have six kids and I've done a lot of research on vaccines and some of this I didn't realize. I wish this was more common uh, knowledge to people. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because people, you know, boohoo the CDC, but I love them. If you hop on their website, you go down rabbit holes and they have everything there. It's all listed there. So if you pulled up the kids vaccine schedule, uh, there's a ton of jargon like all over uh, that page. But if you read the little asterisks, so pay attention to the asterisks when you're reading anything on that CDC schedule, because the asterisks are going to tell you, oh, hey, by the way, if you decide to do it this way, then this is what you do instead. And why do you think um, more pediatricians don't advocate for that? One, I just don't think they know. Two, they abide by the American Academy of Pediatrics. So whatever is told to them by their governing body, they must abide by so it's getting really tough for pediatricians to be able to say, hey, look, we'll, we'll choose a different schedule for you. Um, I'll help you through this. And, and we don't get any training in vaccinology in medical school. So this is all extracurricular activity on my part and on a well-versed pediatrician's part. So they're really doing what, what their governing body is telling them to do. That is so interesting that pediatricians are in charge of giving the vaccines, but yet they don't get any education on it. No. And what I find interesting too, is when I took my daughter in when she was younger to, for her vaccine, it was just assistance doing the vaccines. And I was just, I, I was a little taken back. It was, it's not the doctors who are actually administering them anymore. It's an assistant or a, a tech. Right. So if the pediatrician is, has to do what the governing board is telling them, but you come in as a parent saying, I know the CDC has said that this alternative schedule is okay. Will the pediatrician follow that alternative CDC schedule? Nine times out of 10, no. Uh, they have to have a fully vaccinated practice by age two, or they can get reprimanded at this point, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. So most offices at this point in time will turn you away if you choose to delay or not vaccinate your child. Even though and the CDC leaves, says it's okay. Yep. That leaves your child vulnerable. Well, there's the caveat that as long as the child is up to date by age two. So if you do choose to forego say pneumococcal or Hib, the first couple doses by age two, you'll still at least have that 15 month old dose. Okay. So, so it's by age two, but there are many practices. And most of the emails I receive is, Hey, I just got kicked out of my pediatrician's office for choosing not to vaccinate or choosing to delay. What do I do? And now we're leaving parents vulnerable to the idea. They don't have a healthcare provider in case their child gets sick. And that's terrifying to me is that pediatricians are turning away patients because a parent has made a decision. Hey, I don't want to do this at this point in time, or I think there's certain risk factors, not that they're anti-vaccine, but they're just knowledgeable and they have questions. Um, and now parents, you know, are, Hey, what do I do? Where do I take my kid? If they're sick, I can't find a doctor who will take us. And I'll just plug this right now go to urgent care. If mm -hmm. your kid is sick, 
go to the hospital, to the ER, if it's something necessary for the ER and look for another doctor. So if you're without a pediatrician for four months or five months, use those two places while you're trying to find a healthcare provider for your child. Oh, that's good advice. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about these vaccines some more. I have some more questions for you. Um, It's really trendy on social media, young moms showing things that they've done to their child before vaccines and after Mm. vaccines. Some of them call them detox. Some say they're supporting their immune system. Are there truly things that these moms, these parents should do or should give their kids before vaccines or something they should do after vaccines? So I think social media is very interesting when it comes to what other people share that they're doing. And I try to ignore a lot of it because it, to wrap my head around what some of these parents are doing, I just, I have to close my eyes and shut my ears. Here's the thing. Your child is detoxing. If that's the word you want to use all the time. I mean, our liver goes through three phases of detox. Your child is always, you know, quote unquote detoxing, and they do it just through breathing, through respiration, through perspiration, through eating. So when we poop and we pee, we're removing toxins, we're detoxing. But I think what most parents are concerned about is the aluminum in the vaccines or they say the thimerosal, which is mercury in the vaccines. That's what I think they're talking about when they say, hey, I want to detox my kid from vaccines. It's not that you want to detox your kid from pertussis. They want to detox their kid from the aluminum that's Mm -hmm. in the pertussis vaccine. So when you think in terms like that, uh, most kids, most small children will, that'll, they'll detox that naturally. So if everything's working properly, if their gut's working properly, Um, If their immune system's working properly, if they don't have specific genetic factors, they're going to methylate and they're going to remove these toxins themselves. So do I think there's a need to detox after a vaccine? Probably not in most cases. Parents are concerned about the aluminum. So there are herbs which are safe for kids, not all herbs, but these herbs are safe for kids to help along with the aluminum detoxification. So I do recommend that to parents because we don't know if they have genetic factors or if they have, or if they, they don't methylate well. So I think it's okay. If you're going to use something safe, go ahead and and take these herbs that will be okay. Or Epsom salt baths. Um, And that actually helps to increase perspiration at the cellular level. So you can detox naturally that way. But I think that's what parents are are saying when they say detox their kid. It's, It's to get rid of those heavy metals. Right. I know some on social media have shown bentonite clay baths or rubbing Mm -hmm. bentonite clay on the newborn's feet to help pull out those heavy metals. I don't, I don't know of any research. I've not seen any science on bentonite clay, but it can't hurt. That's the thing. If you're doing things that aren't going to hurt the babe, uh, why not give it a try? And, and, And it really helps the psychology of the mom too. So mom's like, oh, I've got to go get these vaccines, but at least I'm doing something. We all have mom guilt. Uh, At least it's doing something that may be helpful. I'll tell you though, real quick about bentonite clay, it comes from the earth. So you just want to make sure it's from a reputable place because from the earth means a bunch of minerals in that clay, which could be high in cadmium, lead, mercury. So, you know, you could be giving your child... (laughs) 
you know, what you think is helpful. Uh, but if you're not getting it from a reputable source, you could actually be toxifying your child. So keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, good to know. Also about the herbs, can you say which herbs to get? Yes. So, uh, uh, we want to think of something that chelates aluminum. And in the research and in the science, we know that horsetail, things like horsetail, cilantro, chlorella, chlorophyll, like we've all heard these, like all the moms that are in, the, in, in, in our little area or in our niche, they know about these herbs. Well, one, because you can pick them up at the grocery store. So seriously, you can go pick up cilantro herb at the grocery store and you can pick up chlorella and you can give this to your kids. Uh, this is helpful for detoxification. Using herbs, using uh, nature from the ground uh, is helpful. We don't necessarily need pharmaceuticals to do this for us. Okay. So those herbs are called chelators, right? And so they actually yeah. bind on to the metals and help get those out of your body, correct? You got it. Okay. Yeah. So as long as you have a healthy liver uh, and you're, like I said, you're detoxing naturally, then you're going to, you're going to be able to help get rid of some of that metal. Yep. So I think the concern comes with parents that have this brand new baby or a young baby, and they're not quite sure if the baby does methylate well, or does have a decent gut or immune system. So I think maybe that's where the fear comes because they think, okay, now if I give the vaccine and then I find out the child has methylation issues, then now I've done something I shouldn't have done. So how do we ease that fear for parents? That is a very understandable fear. Uh, you know, I've had two children and that's, you know, that's the first thing on my mind is, you know, I got this little thing in front of me and I don't know anything about it yet. So I tell parents, you know, if you take your kids into a two month appointment and they end up getting whatever they get, whatever said vaccines that they get, if they get the full schedule or one or two, you don't really know your babe yet. You don't know, you know, if they are lethargic or if they're, you know, now irritable and not sleeping. Well, are they irritable and not sleeping because that's just kind of being three months old or are they irritable and not sleeping because it's a reaction? So I understand a parent's fear completely. There are some really great doctors who are actually doing blood tests prior to vaccination. And I think it's mm. absolutely fantastic. So, uh, you know, doctors are quickly running a CBC panel and a CMP panel. I do this as well. If the parents are interested, um, you can run through LabCorp or Sonora Quest. It can be through a regular pediatrician. You can run an MTHFR and a COMT genetic uh, panel. It's a blood test. A lot of pediatricians will say no to it, which is terrifying to me that why won't you allow, I mean, your insurance is covering it. So why aren't you allowing a parent to make a decision as to what uh, a blood test they should get? There is a cheek swab that you can do for the test, uh, the genetic test. I am not affiliated whatsoever with the company, but it's mthfrdoctors.com. I, I don't know anything about them except that I know they do good work because I've done, I've used it in my practice, but it's an easy cheek swab that you can do as well to assess your child's risk factors. And by assessing your child's risk factors, parents see, oh, they don't have any genetic SNPs. Oh, their blood panel came back normal okay, great. I feel a little bit more comfortable about taking my child in to get this said vaccine. That is genius. I'm thinking, I wish I had thought of that before I did any vaccines with my kids. It's just interesting, the paradigm of the medical model that we live in today. 
<laughs> uh, we have technology at our fingertip like we've never had it before. And it's not being utilized, most especially for the most vulnerable. So we've got these tiny little kiddos. It doesn't cost us anything extra to, to do a couple quick tests, just to even help put the parents at ease. So, you know, we've got this, you know, idea that we have a bunch of anti-vaxxers now. No, we have parents who are being cautious. They want answers instead of just saying, all right, you know, let's vaccinate according to the CDC schedule. Well, who made up the CDC schedule? There's never been a longitudinal study to assess risk with that specific schedule that we have. Never. Right. I know it's so divisive. Either people are anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine. And I always say, why can't we be educated? That's what I don't know. I get slammed from both sides. I yeah. get, oh, how dare you? I can't believe you just said that from the anti-vaxxer. And I get, oh, oh, how dare you say that from the pro-vaxxer? And it's like, ah, I'm just telling you what the CDC said. Uh, I'm just trying to educate you, maybe get you guys to ask a little bit more questions when you go into your appointments, which I think kind of tick off the pediatrician. They're like, oh, how dare that Dr. Green mom? <laughs> uh, it just makes it more work for the doctors, which I think is good. Uh, and maybe they'll look into this a little bit more if they get more and more parents coming in saying, Hey, I want answers. The doctor says, I don't have answers. We'll go find them. Cause that's what we do. We practice medicine. We practice. So we research. Well, and why don't you think more doctors are doing these blood tests before vaccines to weigh out the risk factors? Oh, have you ever seen a pediatrician's office? They are inundated. I mean, literally it's like every 15 minutes they have a new kiddo come in with X, Y, Z symptoms or whatnot, or it's well child visits. Pediatricians make most of their money off of well child visits. So they've got to get kids in and out. That's not the pediatrician's fault. That is the fault of our healthcare system. I don't damn pediatricians for what they're doing. I damn our healthcare system. Insurance companies get to dictate what what the pediatrician's salary is going to be. And that's just not okay. I learned very early on, I stopped taking insurance two months after I started practicing. <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, look, I'm a cash practice, but you're going to get what you pay for. And right. that's the, it's no fault to the pediatrician. They just don't have time. Right. You know, there's too much, there's too many diseases out there. There's too many symptoms. There's just too much to be able to take care of in a 15 minute appointment. Oh, your kid's got an ear infection. Let me take a look in their ears. Oh shoot, I've got seven more minutes. So what am I going to do? Am I going to educate this mom on the immune system and the GI system and how to take care of this naturally at home? No, here's an antibiotic. Call me if it doesn't work. Right. I love, love, loved my pediatrician. She now has since retired, which is so sad, but I loved her. But I remember one day thinking, oh my gosh, this is a circus in here. It wasn't normally like this, but she had had illness after emergency, after emergency come in. And the place was like a circus. And I same thought, oh my gosh, how do these pediatricians do it? Especially on days like this. And not only do they have clinic work, they are, they have hospital work. So they, they have hospital privileges. If one of their patients needs to, is admitted to the hospital or goes to the ER, they got to take care of that too. So you look at the office and the office looks like a circus, but the hospital is a circus too. So trying to manage all of that on a very slim salary, pediatricians make like little to no money. Uh, They really do. When at the, at the end of the day, my hat's off to them. It's a labor of love. Right. It really is. Right. 
Okay, so I want to go back to vaccines and talk to you about the flu shot because I know there are some pediatricians out there that actually really push vaccines, but then when it comes to the flu shot, some don't even recommend it. Some say it's up to you. Some are more like, eh. So what's the difference with the flu shot? I love this question. (laughs) It really ties into everything that we're talking about if you really think of it, if, if you look at the foundation of it. So I used to administer the flu shot in my practice and you know what I noticed? It doesn't work. (laughs) Okay. uh, I'd still see the kids. So for the flu, uh, I'd still see the parents for the flu. You know, I started looking the data probably six or seven years ago and the CDC puts this out. Like I said, CDC is a really great resource. They put out this information every year and they show the efficacy of the flu shot. Well, it's not been more than like 30 or 40 or 50% efficacious for years. And what they do is we use the strain from the previous year. So we take whatever's going on in Australia and we try to reformulate it. And then we try to give it to us here and it has to change every year. So kind of like the COVID vaccine, we recognize that early on the vaccine was working really well because it was, it was formulated based on the strain that we had at the time. Well, viruses are super awesome and they mutate and they get really savvy at trying to inject themselves into the host by mutating over time. And so we have to change the ingredients. We have to reformulate the vaccine for the flu vaccine uh, for the same reason that we probably should reformulate the COVID vaccine. So that's why we have to give it every year because it's a different strain. So it's a different type of the virus that we need to give. And we're just not doing a very good job of formulating the correct strain. So other strains are out in the environment and you know, people are getting those strains. And so the vaccine's just not very efficacious. So doctors know this because the research comes out, it's robust, it's everywhere. And I think that's why a lot of doctors are like, hey, uh, you can forego that one. But if you dig deeper, and this is the part that's important, if you dig deeper and you take a look at the other pediatric vaccines on the schedule, there's really great research saying that those aren't very efficacious either. (laughs) Uh, And it's, and this is straight from the CDC. This is straight from the research saying uh, we need to find more effective ways to be able to vaccinate for these diseases. Because as an example, the DTaP vaccine, we need five doses to confer protection to a child for the pertussis portion of that vaccine. You're fully vaccinated according to the CDC after three doses for diphtheria and tetanus, but you need five doses to confer protection for pertussis. Now, three or four years later, you need to go get another booster shot because that pertussis portion of the vaccine is no longer working very well. So that is one example of a vaccine that's just not very good. Okay, that's interesting because you're not anti-vaccine and you're not pro-vaccine, right? You're neutral. You're like, I want to give people the facts. I want to give people the science, which you've been stating lots of things from the CDC. So at the end of the day, I am for a parent's decision. I offer what all doctors by law are to offer. It's called informed consent. I inform you of both sides and I let you at the end of the day, make that decision as to what is most important for you, your family and your child. Which that should be all doctors, but that's not always the case because of this governing body over them, correct? Yeah. 
Exactly. We took an oath uh, when we became a physician to offer informed consent to first do no harm and docere, which means doctor as teacher. Those are the three, like it kind of brings me to tears a little bit. Uh, and it makes me shake when I think we're not doing this. We are not doing the service that we swore we would do when we took this oath. So, and it's because of the governing bodies. It's because of the insurance companies. It's because of these other governing agencies that are telling us, oh, nope, you can't do that. Oh, but you can do this. Oh, but you can't do that. Oh, we just got a really big check from said pharma company. So, oh, yep, you can do that. But oh, no, you can't do this. So that's a big problem right now is uh, our hands are quite tied. But I think parents, more and more parents are realizing this. And I think that's why more and more parents are doing their own research. They're asking more questions. They're asking the hard questions because they want to do what's best for their child, not just what pharma has said or some governing board has said. They want to do what they feel is best for their child. At the end of the day, you know your child best. You are the advocate for your child. So you go into the pediatrician's office and they see your child for 15 or 20 minutes every couple months in the first year. They know nothing about your child. All they know is that they're supposed to give XYZ vaccine. We're supposed to check height, weight, head circumference, because that's what we were told uh, just to make sure that you're growing properly. That's all. You have the day-to-day responsibility as a parent to know everything about your child. So of course you're going to have questions. Of course you're going to research. And when we bring this research into the pediatrician's office, we get boo-hooed because it's like, get off of Google, stop Googling or stop Dr. Google or whatever they call it. Uh, I invite that in my office. I love that parents are trying to educate themselves. And so I, I think that a flourishing child comes from a parent who's flourishing and that means they're becoming educated. Oh, I love that. Okay, so let me ask you something about vaccines for some of maybe the, I was going to say older moms, but maybe us more, uh, I don't know. I'm an older mom. Seasoned. Seasoned. There you go. That's a good word. For us seasoned mothers who now have kids that are required to get boosters for kindergarten, junior high, things like that. Is there any concern with boosters? Is there something that parents should be researching about boosters? What's your thought on that? I think initially is, is that booster efficacious? Like, does it work? And it's kind of actually hard to find that information. So I should probably not say that so much. You know, the first thing you can do is, does your child require a booster? Go test their titers first. Uh, Go find out if they have antibodies from their previous vaccines so that they don't need a booster. Um, According to our lab results, so we can run what's called a titer test. Uh, We can find out, for an example, how high of an immunity response you have to measles by just doing a blood test. So if you have a high enough titer, if your antibodies are high enough, you don't need that second dose of the measles vaccine. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. If you want to know if you have, I'll throw this out there when you're pregnant, you're required right now to receive the Tdap vaccine in pregnancy. Some women forego it, some don't. But if you would like, you can run a pertussis titer test. Find out if you have current titers to pertussis because that in and of itself will offer or confer protection to babe in those first two months of vulnerability. Does that kind of answer your question? It does. So does someone just go into their doctor and say they want to run a titer test? Is that what it's called? Yep. 
you walk right in and you say, I want titers to X, Y, Z as an, uh, here's another example. Every woman who's pregnant, we get an MMR titer test run on us. You might not know it, but you, your OB-GYN will run an MMR titer test to measles, mumps, and rubella. You know why? We want to know if you have protection to rubella. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. If you have had a child, you have already had a titer test run on you and you may not even have known it. So I have a child who's going into junior high. So I'm going to take him to the doctors and ask for a titer test for the different vaccines that need a booster. Yeah, exactly. And then if they say, oh, we don't do that, then you give me a call and I'll show you where to go. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the trick these days is finding a good doctor, a good pediatrician who will do the things that you ask of them to do. Correct. You know, within limits. So uh, as long as it's not harmful to the child and and the doctor knows it, then I think that it's important to do that if the parent asks. So uh, real quick, as you're talking about finding a pediatrician or finding a family physician who is on board with, you know, helping you through this or who's okay with uh, informed consent or medical freedom, who allows you to make choices that are best for your family. I do have a national provider list that I've been putting together for over a decade Dr. Bob Sears actually started it. It has every state in the union. It has physicians on there. It's free to you. So if you go to my website and you type in medical provider list in the search box, you'll find it. Wow. That is a valuable resource. That's amazing. Thank you. It's incredibly valuable. It's been a labor of love. Let me tell you people, I receive emails all the time saying, Oh, do you have an OB-GYN list? I'm like, Uh, Oh honey, I can't even keep up with the the pediatrician list. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So I was going to ask you so many other questions about like ADHD, (laughs) depression, eczema, seasonal allergies. I didn't even get to any of that. And so I'm wondering if you'll come back for a part two to answer all of those other questions. Oh, Carlin, I would absolutely love to. This was my first podcast experience. It has been so enjoyable. Thank you so much. I'll, uh, I think I'm going to have to start my own podcast. <laughs> well, you're amazing. <laughs> and then I'll have you on. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Well, you've been amazing. And I know you've answered a lot of questions for my listeners. So With closing this podcast, let's just help our parents because I know they're fearful out there. I get question after question, day after day after day about vaccines and what I would do and what my thoughts are. So let's just sum it up for the listeners. What is your advice to these brand new moms, these seasoned moms on vaccines? Prior to birth, honestly, this needs to happen prior to having a child. It's very complicated uh, situation to try to maneuver through. Parents spend so much time on figuring out the colors of the baby room and putting together all the gadgets and gizmos for the baby and thinking about what the nursery is going to be like. Spend that time educating yourselves on some of this, on some of this very, very important information, because this is going to set your, your child up for life. Uh, you know, 10 years after your child comes there, uh, you're not going to be talking about the colors of the nursery. You're, you're going to be knee deep in dealing with any potential uh, issues going on with your child, healthcare diagnoses, et cetera. So it's just important to really look at this important information prior to birth 
do your research. There is now a lot of information online that you can find. I have a wealth of actual free information on my website. You can actually pay for the very, very detailed information as well at vaccinestrategy.com. But it's just important to start doing this. And, And if you are a new bomb and you're listening and you're like, darn it, I've already had my baby. It's okay. You're always welcome. This is, I think this is the driving home factor. If, if you don't feel comfortable, say no. You can always go home and do your research and take a look at this information provided to you. If you don't feel comfortable, if it doesn't feel right in your stomach when you're at the doctor's office, say no. You can go home and do your research. You can come back and say yes, or you can come back and say no. If you succumb to the pressures of what they're telling you in the office and you go ahead and do something that you don't feel comfortable with, and there's a procedure that that's done or something that's done in the office, you can never undo that. So it's okay to say, no, go home and research it, come back and say yes or no, or whatever you choose. I love that advice so much. I can't even tell you because I have an 18 year old son that years and years ago, I just felt so much pressure to do something with at the pediatrician's office. I didn't know my research very well on it. I did something that I under pressure that I wish I hadn't done. And years later, I'm still feeling guilty for it, which I shouldn't. It was safe. It was fine. But I just didn't feel good about it at the time. And I wish I would have just said, you know what? I don't know enough on this one yet. Let me go home and research it. And then I'll come back because like you said, you can always come back. And so all the, like other shots, other things, I just felt good about. I had done the research, felt it was okay, but don't feel pressured into doing something you aren't ready to do. Absolutely. Moms, we just have so much guilt anyway. There's the day-to-day guilt of being a mom and and we're not spending enough time with our kid. Oh, we're not doing this. Oh, we're not doing that right. The last thing that you need to feel guilt about is the decisions that you're making regarding your child's healthcare. And so step back a minute, you know, take a deep breath and say no until you're ready. I love that. Thank you. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. And I guess we should also say, And you've touched upon this before, but do what you need to do for your child and their health, not what your neighbor's doing, not what your best friend is doing, not what the influencer is doing on social media. You need to figure it out for yourself and your child. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I get questions all the time in emails from followers on social media. Hey, what do I do? Uh, I don't know. What do you do? Uh, I don't know your kid. Don't ask me. Um, I, I can't give you that information. Uh, if your pediatrician doesn't see you, but for, for, you know, 15 minutes, every once in a while, they can't answer that for you. And it's the sad reality. Parents feel alone. They feel like, where do I go? How do I get this? Uh, research is your best bet. So start looking into what's best for your family. And it's okay to get fired by a pediatrician's office. It's okay to lose a friend or acquaintance, apparently, uh, if you have specific guidelines that you're following for your family. Uh, none of that matters. What what matters is the foundational implementation of what you do for your family and for your children. Right. And like you said, it may take doctor after doctor after doctor until you find the right one. After ours um, retired, I tried one out and let me tell you, it did not work out well. I went and found a new one. Let me tell you, but that's fine. He that's- probably was great for other people. He just wasn't for me. So I love that. It's okay to be rejected. It really is. Being rejected just makes you stronger. Put your big girl mama panties on and it's okay. Like walk out of the office and say, all right, that one didn't work. Uh, let's let's get back else. to trying to find a new one. And if, and again, if you can't find one in the meantime, 
use urgent care of the hospital. That's what they're there for. Right. Thank you so much for being here today. I know my listeners have learned so much from you, and I know you have mentioned where your valuable resources are, where you are, but let's just sum it all up for them. Where can my listeners find you and all of this amazing um, info that you've put together? Uh, Thanks. So uh, the main platform I have is drgreenmom.com. It's a fantastic free resource of information. I teach you how to for free uh, treat your child's ADD, ADHD, how to help take care of allergies, eczema. Um, But most importantly, what parents want to know about today is vaccines. Uh, There's a wealth of free information that I've put together over the years. I do not include my personal opinions. It's all science-based. You can print this information off. You can give it to the pediatrician's office. If you want the nitty gritty, if you want it all in one spot, which is just kind of an awesome, awesome resource I've put together, uh, vaccinestrategy.com a wealth of information, even more info to be able to print off and take to a pediatrician's office. You can find me at Dr. Green Mom on social media, uh, most especially Instagram. Over the past year, I've really worked hard to grow that platform and community of fantastic mothers and parents. I am one of those doctors who needs a backup account. I cannot currently be tagged on social media. So it's at DR period green mom. So you have two options to find me. (laughs) That's good to know. I always close my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Foundational experience. It really is. Have a foundation for yourself. Uh, if you if you don't feel like you have one, uh, create it for yourself. And by doing that, you're going to create a foundation for your children as well. And your husband or your partner, or whoever you have. But I, I think having a foundation is is always the place to start with anything. I love that. No guest has ever used that as their best ingredient. So I really uh, <laughs> like that because when challenges come and hard times come, believe me, you're relying on that foundation that you have. So I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. I know my listeners have learned so much and go follow you guys, Dr. Mayer on social media. You will just learn so much. Take advantage of all these amazing resources she has. And again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm so appreciative. Thanks so much for having me, Carlin. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram. <laughs>